0: Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach.
1: Good morning, y'all, and welcome uh, back to our uh, weekly episode of Taking Care of Business. A wonderful morning here in Calgary, Alberta. And I am enjoying today a guest that uh, became a friend uh, in the last 10 years. Um, And uh, I'm very happy to have him here and and going to ask him a few very interesting questions because I think that he went exactly the opposite direction in life that I am going. And it will be, uh, I hope, a very interesting discussion. But let's, you know, uh, we have we have water here. We also have some drinks here. Uh, And later on, we'll reveal during the uh, commercial break, when Cassandra sends all the pictures out, we'll reveal what kind of drinks we have uh, today, Tuesday morning. Uh,
2: uh,
1: My guest today is uh, Richard Boyer, or should I I say Richard?
2: Richard Boyer.
1: Richard Boyer. Uh, As you can uh, understand, he is uh, originally from Quebec, uh, which is... uh, I would say another country compared to Alberta and Canada.
2: <laughs> Still in this country for
1: now. Okay, you don't need a passport to, to cross the border. Uh, Quebec, which is the, uh, uh, as everybody knows, it's a French area of uh, Canada. Uh, but Richard, you know, before we go in, and dive into the all the changes you made in your life, in your business life, and as you know, this is a show about business. Um, Let's talk about where are you from. Where, are you, uh, like, talk about Quebec a little bit and what the uh, you know what what went in Quebec. Why did you leave and the online yard?
2: Yeah. So um, born and raised in Montreal, educated in French. Uh, did high school and college in French in in Montreal. French was our mother tongue at home. My parents were uh, my dad more so was in business, and so English was something that we had in the home. My parents brought newspapers in the home. They, we had television in English. So, Very, very quickly, all us four kids uh, became bilingual. Really, from the age of five and six, we, we were all very easily flipping back and forth. So,
1: and, and was that common to be bilingual at that time?
2: No. 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 It, uh, it also depended which part of the city you lived in. So I lived in uh, a little suburb called La Salle, which tended to have a fairly high number of immigrants. So there, and at the time, this is, gosh, back in the the 60s and 70s, um, there was no language laws like there are today in Quebec. Today in Quebec, there are language laws that basically say um, French is the dominant language. If you're an immigrant, you have to go to French school. Uh, Back in the days, that was not the case. So the community we lived in had a, a large number of immigrants, and English was very common on the street, so I grew up, really, with, with both languages all the time, and again, in in those days, the Parti Québécois had really not even started to, to begin to exist, and so the, the whole kerfuffle about language and culture and separation, in the 1960s and 70s, there was very little of that.
1: I want to ask you a question. You mentioned that your dad was in business, mm-hmm. and that's why uh, you were bilingual, so even though you live in Quebec, even though French is a do- dominant uh, language, they still understand that to do business, they have to learn the, the English language.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, any business of any size that obviously had to trade with the rest of, of Canada, the rest of the U.S. And, and, and other parts of the world, you absolutely needed that. I mean, the, the, it's the same when you go to Europe. Um, I mean, you grew up in Israel, it would be the same, Right. Um, English is a necessary business language, Um, and if you don't have it, that's fine, but your market's going to be restrained.
1: I see. Can I ask, what did your father do? What kind of business? Sure.
2: Uh, So, he was not a business owner. He was a business person. Uh, He uh, basically worked in industrial relations. He negotiated contracts with uh, labor unions for for most of his career.
1: Oh, good luck.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know what? (laughs) It's interesting. We worked together. Uh, fast forward to about 1990, 1993, 1994, I was working for Quebec which is a, the newspaper company, Sun Media, in Winnipeg. And I was a publisher. I had four unions there. And my dad was actually a contractor for Quebec He worked in their industrial relations department. So uh, we actually worked together on one of my negotiations. He was, <laughs> he was the point person from head office. With all of the guidance that head office usually gives a division, and I had to do it locally, so it was kind of cool.
1: So he was helping you, yeah. not not on the other side of the table, but no, on no, no, your no. side was, of the table. He was table. on my side of the table. I see, and and
2: when you, he was on your side, of the, did you did people know? That, that no, you? no, because he was completely invisible, right? So when you do that negotiation, um, you typically will have one of the parties at the table and all of the advisors behind the scenes that, that really nobody sees. I see. And, um,
1: you, you know, you, you jumped into uh, your time in Winnipeg, but I understand you said you went to school in uh, Montreal, to college? I
2: did. Well, yeah. So college in Quebec is C J. So the, the Quebec education system is high school, which is grades 6, 7, or no, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Then what we call college CJP, which is grades effectively 12 and 13, like the Ontario system, and typical university degrees um, at that point are only three years in Quebec because you do that that extra year. So, I did that. Took a year off to save some money to go to school. I'd set my sights on going to school. What did you do for a year? I worked for Sherwin Williams. Oh. I, was, I was a union laborer in a plant <laughs> mixing paint. Perfect. (laughs) you know what? So this is um, 1979, in 1979, I'm earning $18 an hour. That's
1: better than today. Absolutely. Excuse me, but I have to do some of the interviews standing, um, which Cassandra is taking some pictures um, why I'm standing. Uh, So you do grade 12, 13 in the unique system that uh,
2: is, uh, I think it's in...
1: Ontario is very well, similar, right? so Ontario, Canada. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then what? Then, so, um, you'll get a kick out of this. Um, I wanted to be an actuary. So, uh, at the time, the best place to become an actuary... was that your coffee that just popped in? Yeah. We're having a nice coffee this morning. <laughs> um, to become an actuary, you really had two choices. You can do the pure math stream through Université Laval in Quebec City Um, or you could do the the business side of it and go through the University of Manitoba and so really not having lived anywhere outside of, of Montreal and most of the materials at that time the exams for the Society of Actuaries that was all in English so I said why would I want to go study in French and all my exams all my books are in English it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense so I packed everything that I owned in one of those trunks that's, you know, call it 48 inches by 30 inches by 30 inches. Put that on the train and went west. I've never been back. I see. <laughs> Would you like some coffee? Si. Uh, merci.
1: Merci. <laughs> uh, my, 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 my plaisir. Uh, plaisir. <laughs> so uh, you went west and uh, how did you get to where you
2: got to in Japan? So place? Well, so I picked the University of Manitoba, um, started the business program to to get the actuarial degree done, rose the first assignment or the first um, exam of the Society of Actuaries and got three out of five, so I passed. Nice. But I said, I'm not doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Why? You know what? Mostly because I said, you know, I don't want to do this for the next 10 years of my life. I don't mind investing you know, four years in a degree and doing, you know, two, three, four years doing some apprenticeship thereafter, whatever it was that it was going to be. I just didn't want to do the the lengthy actuarial program and at the same time had really, really good success with operations um, and accounting. So I said, you know, I'll do a degree, blending those two and see where that ends up. And
1: uh, you, you graduate from mm-hmm. University of Manitoba and...
2: Became uh, so joined the CA program uh, right away. Spent uh, three chartered Chartered accountants. That's correct. Uh, Which for your your American audience is a CPA. The equivalent is a CPA program. Um, We three years program. Immediately after my three years, um, my wife and I. So I got married first year into into the program. So when did you? Where did you meet your wife? Uh, we met in university, so uh, she's, uh, she was in residence. We met in residence. Uh, it's a funny story because the residence... We love funny stories. <laughs> <laughs> the residence where we stayed um, was a co-ed residence. So there was one tower for, for ladies. It was one block for men, but there was one block that was co-ed. Door, from door to door, male, female, male, female. So in the washrooms, we were co-ed. And so that's where we met. Oh, I see and um, Mariana and I basically started to to date at uh, gosh that was 1983 something
1: like that. So nice, and uh, now you have two uh, wonderful boys. Two grown boys. That's yeah, right. yeah. That's right. Say so, their name is in in French.
2: So Marc. Uh, Known as also as Marc. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Marc is married, lives here in the city. Him and his wife run a, um, a horse ranch. So she teaches English writing. and then they board and uh, and train horses. And then François, which you'd say Frank, Fra- Francis, François. Uh, François oh, is, is a pipeline welder. So, so uh, you
1: kind of graduate, you get married, and um, finish your CA, chartered accountant, and then what? what? What was what was the first job coming out of all those so studies? So as
2: you do as you do your CA, you're employed. Um, you're you're basically cheap labor. For the accounting firm, not unlike what law firms do, what uh, what doctors have to do through their internships. So articling. Articling, your cheap labor for a period of years. <laughs> um, and the payback.
1: You the sound moment, like a sign of someone who negotiates with uh, unions. <laughs> <laughs> cheap labor.
2: <laughs> the the payback for for me, um, my articles were going to be done in August of 1987. In June of 1987, I saw a posting uh, for senior accountants uh, in Luxembourg. So Luxembourg, tiny little country, the head of of the uh, European government today. And at the time, they knew that Luxembourg was going to be playing a a prevalent role. Mm -hmm. And so they were bringing in uh, accountants from Canada, from the U.S., from Australia, from uh, any part of the world where the, the qualifications were strong, the U.K. at the time as well, Um, to really bolster and and beef up the financial reporting in Luxembourg. So we took a transfer and went to work in Luxembourg for two years. Um, It was a fabulous experience. Mariana has a different story. (laughs) (laughs) It was fabulous for me because, um, one, the work was bilingual. So I I got to work in, in French and in English, really exposed to... The types of companies and the types of investments and, and, and private banking, for example, something that we don't see here in, in America at all. Um, and just had some some great clients. So I had a great time. And at the same time, we spent some time traveling. Not as much as some of my single friends, um, you know, but uh, we enjoyed. We'd jump in a car. And, and so you're in Luxembourg. You can go to Belgium for dinner just in an open, Wh- board, open Why? Why? Because there's really nice food.
1: Why um, Belgium? <laughs> um,
2: it's better than than uh, the Netherlands.
1: <laughs> I see.
2: So, uh, so yeah, we we could travel, and then through that period, Mark was born there. So Mark was born in Luxembourg uh, in 1988. He um, has a Canadian citizenship, of course. Had an opportunity to get his European citizenship, but did not do it on a timely basis. So. He missed on that opportunity, and since we found out that Canada would have forced him to to pick one of the two anyway, so I don't think he was ready to revoke his his Canadian passport. Uh, so we came back from uh, from Europe. It was 1988, so it was the same year that Mark was born. Later that year, and at that point, I went back to the CA firm, and I really didn't last very very long. I um, I said to the folks, you know, I'm just going to go in into industry, and I worked for one of my clients. So, Quebecor, which is the owner of uh, a chain of newspapers at the time, owned the Winnipeg Sun. And again, comes the French part. The president's out in in Winnipeg doing a bunch of interviews. Uh, I find out that he's there. I say, hey, do you mind if I talk to him? We had a conversation in French and he gave me the job on the spot. Just because you spoke his language. (laughs) And, you know, it's very cultural, right? You establish a bond um, very, very rapidly and fairly strong because you have the same the same connections, right? So,
1: um, I, I, one one question you mentioned: Did you have three siblings? Other than you, you have four. And you mentioned that uh, Mark uh, is now uh, with his wife; they own uh, kind of a horse training facility. Mm-hmm. So, any other,
2: any one of your siblings is an entrepreneur? Um, no. So my brothers are C M P. Uh, and so he's traveled a ton through his work. He's now in Iraq. Uh, training Iraqi police force. Um, and my baby sister is a nurse and has lived in Montreal all of her life. And my other sister is a bureaucrat. So she's, uh, I can't remember which ministry she's in right now, but she's been in Ottawa for, for a number of years. Uh, and so the two boys here are the closest to what I would call entrepreneur. Mark and Sarah are doing really well. So this is the second full year of ownership. It's the fourth year of their business. But they bought the ranch um, just less than two years ago. And they're figuring it out. In fact, this weekend, um, they've got the, uh, their first horse um, show jumping show. So mm-hmm. much like Spruce Meadows hosts events. Right. They now have the Rocky Mountain Classic at uh, their ranch this coming weekend. So two days, small event. But, you know, they, they need to start with something. And so they're having to look at all aspects of the business. Mark's background he's a BCom. He Spent some time as a banker and spent some time as a um, uh, CEO, quote unquote, of a of a dental practice. The three four practices that he had to manage. And Francois, in his own way, this has been this is brand new, hot off the press. Um, as a pipeline welder, there's downtime. Mm-hmm. You don't always have continuous work for all sorts of reasons. The project's kind of finished. So you go on effectively a a leave of absence that's unpaid. But he bought a welding truck last fall and started to advertise in Kijiji. And starting about two, three weeks ago, he got a call and he got 200 bucks. He got (laughs) another call and he got 250 bucks. And, of course, he doesn't consider it to be hard work, right? He's having to, to weld a, uh, a light on a, on a truck that's fallen or a hitch that, that's, that's broken. Um, so he's starting his uh, career as an entrepreneur. Very much so. Very much so. So this week, let's say it's Friday, so Wednesday he had six jobs. Perfect. So, you know what? He's not complaining about being busy. The hours are a little bit longer, and he's got to travel from from site to site, and he's got to do invoicing, and he's got to buy materials, and he's got to do quoting.
1: The life of an entrepreneur.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Richard, we have
1: reached our first commercial break. As uh, always, you know, we have to take some time for commercials, and uh, I encourage our audience to go and check us on our social media. And as I promised, Cassandra will post some of the pictures of our interview here and our coffee Uh, red coffee I would say. I will catch you here uh, immediately following the commercials
0: The Internet's number one talk station Number one talk station VoiceAmerica.com
2: Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron. Live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice
0: America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Are tuned into taking care of business with david wallach to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to dv at gmail.com that's d-i-v-i wallach at gmail.com now back to this week's show
1: and we are back with uh, my guest, Richard Boyer, a CPA, and a new entrepreneur, which we'll uh, kind of uh, touch uh, shortly. Um, so, Richard, you know, you worked most of your career as, not as an entrepreneur.
2: No, nope. as a, really
1: as a, as a suit. Right. Uh, always at the, uh, at the uh, kind of executive uh, office, um, different companies, whether it was public, whether it was private. Um, how did your career kind of develop over the years? So, with
2: the background as a CPA, it's pretty easy to I'm going to say jump into a, a position in a company. You don't you, you're not the subject matter expert. So, I was in the newspaper business. I was in the printing business. I was in the window business. Um, and when I entered those businesses, I didn't really know much about the product or the service that uh, that we we produced. But your background from a CPA's perspective enables you to get up to speed very, very quickly, jumping into the numbers. And what I'm gonna say, what created my success is I've never looked at myself as just the accountant on staff. I've always been interested in all of the operations, be that the 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 cost of printing and how we could we could make some improvements. Um, the readership statistics, right? How could we how could we gain in readership? Is there anything that, that I can stimulate conversations about to, to get that done? So always with an angle to the operations side is what's enabled me to get the promotions, right? So by nineteen ninety-four, so I was thirty-four years old. I was in charge of all of our products in Manitoba. So we did commercial printing, we had a newspaper, we had a daily newspaper, we had seven weekly newspapers and a small magazine division and they all reported to me. Um, Not because again I knew publishing inside out, but because I developed a skill set to be able to lead a team and set some objectives and have them grow.
1: I see, and um, when you say I developed a a skill to to lead, how do you develop that skill? (laughs) You know what? Uh, it's probably not overnight. No,
2: no. And the And it's not typical for a CA. No. <laughs> but I think if you if you summarized it, I would say it's leading by example. Right? It's it's really rolling up your sleeves and getting in there and saying, "Hey, I don't mind, I'll do this." And so I very good bad memories. At the Winnipeg Sun, we were losing money. When I joined, we were losing money. Québécois changed over the publisher and the controller, so both number one and number two positions. Um, and really, our mandate was pretty simple. Go fix it. And so my job was to work with the senior managers, be they in editorial, in production, in, in distribution, to say, look, the math doesn't work. We can dream and think that we'll sell more advertising, but that's really, you know, I'm going to say, only a, a hypothesis at this stage. If we can work on the cost side of the equation, let's do that. And so we made all sorts of, of recommendations to change processes, to change some, su- some suppliers, some vendors in some cases. Unfortunately, to reduce headcount when mm-hmm. when that was necessary as well. And then on the revenue side, worked at, I'm going to say, creative strategies to, I'm going to say, offer more value to, to advertisers. And... When did you move to Calgary then? I moved to Calgary in 99. So my run with Quebecor Sun Media, uh, was almost 10 years. And what had happened then was uh, Sun Media, effectively Quebecor bought Sun Media and gave the management of the newspapers to Sun Media. I was a francophone. I was a Pelado protégé in an anglophone world. Um, I saw that I was not going to have as much fun as I did before. And I just said, you know what, guys, I'm done. It's the end of the road. I want to go do something else. And um, basically took the summer off in uh, 1999, played golf, cooked, hung out with my kids, uh, and looked for a job. And uh, Gino Windows ran a blind ad looking for a CFO. So the company was not identified. And it really had the profile that I was looking for. Private company, $50 million dollars. Worked directly with the owners to, to grow the business. And so I thought, hey, that's that's perfect. And it's Calgary. It's one of the uh, two, three cities that I, I was willing to relocate. So I had Toronto on my list. I had Ottawa on my list. And I had Calgary on my list. And so... So we lost. <laughs> no, Calgary gained a great asset. So uh, through a process, which I thought was, was, was long and exhaustive, and, but at the end of the day... Gino offered me the uh, the job and again a tremendous opportunity uh, my boss so the president had a background as a uh, as an accountant himself and his partners told him he's spending way too much time diving back into the business the controller was not particularly strong so I said look I'll look after the controller piece and the whole finance piece and you you'll you'll see the results um, but I also want to get involved in the business side of it and made it known very early on that my next step is, I want your job. I want to be the president of Gino. So um, so so
1: what you describe to me is you always, and I, and I'm kind of interpreting what i'm I'm hearing here is that you always had the drive mm-hmm. to be the guy writing the check, writing the salaries. You always had the drive. You you started with the with accounting firm, then you jumped to go to Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. You took some time off, mm-hmm. you went to Kubecois, industry you have no clue what, what it's about, <laughs> and you run it for 10 years, uh, move it to, to profit. Then you take another time off, play golf, spend time with your kids, and look for the next opportunity and another move. It sounds like you mm-hmm. were an entrepreneur in your gut, heart, whatever, brain, all those years. So... so what was holding you from starting your own business all those years?
2: i tell you what. Um, family, mortgage, and the security of a paycheck um, in, I'm going to say, my younger years meant a lot to me. To to say in the family, hey, guess what? I quit my job today. I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'll figure it out. Um, was not a prudent or safe thing to do. Uh, today you know fast forward to, to where we are the kids are grown up uh, the, the house is not an issue the, the cars are not an issue um, it's a lot easier financial decision to, to to wrap your head around so I've always wanted to be um, in the driver's seat to, to do and to do something so as a CEO of course you have that opportunity but as a CEO you always have either a board of directors, or shareholders, or somebody else that you you report to. And in some cases, it's just not a whole bunch of fun. Right. You know, I've worked for for public companies, um, and some of the decisions that are made in, in public companies sometimes, when you're on the ground in a division, you got to scratch your head and go like, really? It what were you thinking? Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it makes no sense. But but so quite happy to to have left that setting. Um, and and kind of just be on my own. And and the model that I have today is one that I've conceived of, I'm going to say, almost seven, eight years ago. I saw this coming. Uh, it's not something that I just the spur of the moment said, screw you all, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I planned for it. <coughs> uh, I well, would tell you're, you... Are you. You're a CA, after all, you have <laughs> to plan.
1: But, but but before we jump to, to today, I want to ask you a few more questions on the last, 10 years because we met about 12 years ago mm-hmm. and we met through a tech, tech. Vistage mm-hmm. and we were on our group. You were the only one who didn't own the company. That's right. So how did you feel among the group? What did you, what did you learn from, you know, being surrounded by 14 or 12 entrepreneurs <laughs> that you don't have to report to? That are different, that, that come from different
2: industries. They're not your bosses. It just yeah. peers. Yeah. Uh, a couple things. Their problems are the same as mine from a business perspective. So that didn't really change. The difference was that I probably had more convincing to do and and analyzing to do um, than most of you. Because in many cases, you would just go back to the office and say, okay, we're done. You this, you that, you move here, right? Whereas I probably had more, excuse me, uh, cajoling, convincing to do, and in some cases, upwards, right? To, to yeah. talk to people above me. Um, but the, the freedom of, um, of the lifestyle that it afforded, and so, you know, you, you'd see guys say, I'm going to take extended vacation, or within my company, I'm going I'm to take advantage of some of the, the tax advantages, be they travel, benefits, whatever else. That's always been appealing, and in a corporate world, there's none of that. Right? So in the corporate world you get a paycheck. And you get a you get a very handsome paycheck. And I would tell you for at points I wrestled with, "Geez, why would I want to be an entrepreneur? I make twice as much money as those guys do." Right? So but that does not factor the the, the long-term value of the enterprise. So back to that debate, right? Um, we have a comfortable lifestyle, All I should say all this money, but this money is coming in and it's paying these bills and it's affording us the ability to, to travel, to do whatever with the kids. Um, to clip and, and cut that medical cord at
1: that time was tough. However, I will remind you something. Since we know each other for 12 years, there was a time that you were going this direction and then you didn't pull the plug.
2: I did. I tried to buy a small business. Today, I still work with him. He's a good friend of mine. I tried to buy a small business and my financing did not come together the way that I was hoping to, on the one hand. On the other hand, the owners, uh, the private equity owners of the firm, um, told me that you know they'd make me a better offer, that um, I should really consider it. So my financing's not working, I've got a better offer from these guys. Um, I opted for the security blanket.
1: Mm-hmm. I see, so
2: you stayed and... Yeah, I stayed, uh, I don't know, another five, six years. Until you got frustrated. <laughs> yeah, well, again, there's a point, you talked about it earlier, you seem to have itchy feet, Richard. Yeah, I do, I do. And and you know, my, you know my next move, your audience doesn't know yet. Um, but I have itchy feet, and I need to do something different.
1: I see. And and how was the uh, separation, or I would say retirement?
2: <laughs> it lasted two months. Um, so uh, I well, said, what, Were you planning to be completely
1: retired, or no, it was just no. you know, no. I'm going to leave this and look for the next one?
2: No, I was not planning to be completely retired. Uh, I just said, look, much like I did in 1999, it's time to do to do something different. I need a change. So in 1999, I took the summer off. Um, in 2014, I took uh, kind of the November, December, January, February period off, so th- an extended holiday break. And at that point, said, I'm not going back to do what I've done for the last 25, 27 years. Uh, I will pick my type of assignment. Um, and then decide how that, that, that benefits me. And my ideal scenario was to work in an advisory capacity with a, with a smaller firm, probably as a CFO type of, of, of role to start, because that's one that is mostly in, in demand. But the opportunity to bring the, I'm say the wealth of experience and the tools that I gained over my career to, to help out that enterprise, um, and then others so in this particular example uh, a friend of mine who is a customer of mine at Gino um, phoned me right away and said hey Richard you need to come in, and work with us uh, so that was in like the first week I said well, time out I'm not uh, I'm not doing anything quite yet uh, happy
1: I have tea time that is way more important
2: yeah, well in November <laughs> the, tea, the tea times weren't that prevalent in Phoenix but, yeah that's right <laughs> So I said, uh, you know, sure, let's have conversations. Let's see how it goes. Ultimately, that's where I ended up uh, in February of, uh, what, 15, I guess. February of 2015, uh, I joined him uh, as his uh, CFO and executive vice president. And again, managing some of the files that he's not very good at and I'm very good at. So anything to do with financing, anything to do with contracts, anything to do with corporate structures, anything to do with, with uh, uh Cash flow, taxation, those kinds of things, they come naturally to me and I look at that as almost not not work. Mm-hmm. I'm able to, to do that while at the same time, um, much like I did before, dive into the business and say, how do we make this business better? I see. Um, if you have to choose, we, we are
1: almost uh, in our second commercial break, but uh, before we dive uh, in the last segment to your new business, I want to ask you one, one question to kind of summarize the period of time that you were with uh, either Gino or Cuba, Cuba okay. Um What are the one or two things from being a CEO or a COO or a CFO in companies that you don't own? That you bring with you to your new territory.
2: The, Sorry, tough no, one. no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just trying to frame the. You know, I think one of the, um, let's say the, the best things that you that you bring is a sense of governance. So, if I'm not the owner of the business, I have a stewardship responsibility with respect to the business. And so, between the owner and myself, the board and myself, um, there are certain things that we 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 agree. That's your responsibility. You can do it. And this is not your responsibility. We have to talk. Um, And this is is the areas where, you know, we have to to have more in-depth discussions, reports, whatever that is. And the whole notion around the business is for the business. One of the gray areas when you're an entrepreneur is sometimes the business and – I'm going to use the family. It's not the right word. The the business and the non-business activities – they get blurred. Life.
1: Life and the business.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you've, you've seen it. You've heard it. Guys have condos in their businesses. They have airplanes in their businesses. They have trips to to Mexico, Hawaii in the businesses. The kids get salaries. I mean, the list is this, this, this long. <laughs> and one of the things I say to, to business owners is you should you should govern yourself. You should run your business like a public company. Ultimately, you're probably going to want to sell your business, whether it's to your kids, to your employees, or to somebody else. Um, and in planning for that, the cleaner the business is, the easier that's going to be. You're not going to get into arguments with respect to valuation. Hey, what's the condo doing there? Hey, you didn't pay yourself market wages. Whatever it is, there's a whole bunch of issues that come up from that.
1: I see. Um We just reached our second commercial break. Uh, Very interesting discussion. Thank you, Richard, for kind of being very honest and open about everything. And um, once we get back from the commercial, I want to discuss um, the new venture that Mm -hmm. you are kind of uh, starting, uh, which uh, I think is going to be exciting uh, just because I know some of it. That's how we met. And and, and we'll discuss it uh, immediately following... The commercial. Once again, uh, our uh, audience, uh, go to our uh, social media and uh, find out what Cassandra has uh, put on the uh, social media for our interview. And we will meet you here immediately following the commercial break.
0: Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio
2: On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time here on voiceamerica.com.
0: Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset? your home is it from a reality show on cable tv a comparison website or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct stop now before you make another move tune in to real real estate today with host and realtor deb tomorrow you can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home listen every tuesday at 3 p.m eastern time noon pacific on voice america variety
2: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to dvwallock at gmail.com. That's d-i-v-i-wallack at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: And we are back uh, for the last segment of today's episode of Taking Care of Business with my guest, Richard Boyer. Um, Richard, you know, we we discussed the history. We discussed everything that you have done so far, and, and some of the stuff you learned uh, as a CEO, a COO, uh, manager, general manager of people of other people's companies. And now, you know, you you sent us an announcement three years ago: I'm retiring. And uh, now you send a new announcement: I'm not retiring. <laughs> so, what happened?
2: Uh, I know shit happens, but what happened? <laughs> I, um, I basically jumped in with both feet in something that I should have done perhaps some time ago, but I have no regrets for, for not doing it, and said, I can, I can work on my own. I can develop a, um, a lucrative, fun, uh, flexible practice as a, call it a consultant for lack of a better word. So all of the experience and the background, somebody wants to pay for that. You know, I've, I've seen that. So back up a little bit. My natural self, um, I love to serve. I love to serve. I love to help. I uh, will take on projects, assignments um, to help in my church, in my neighborhood, with my family. doesn't matter who. Community, Alex. Community, that's right. So that's just just me the way I am. So to take on a bunch of clients to help them fits that to a T. Um, Then it was, well, how are you going to do that and what services are you going to to offer? And that's the part that I said I noodled on some time ago, and it was pretty crystal clear. The strengths that I have from the experience that I've gained, predominantly, again, from the CFO piece, um, is in very high demand with, I'm going to say, smaller businesses. And you've got to build that referral network, that engine that that creates the opportunities to to talk with people. But one of our mutual friends, you'll you'll remember him, did um, a bit of a how do I say that? Uh, all over the place kind of entrepreneur. not not untypical anyway, Ditchwitch. So I've had several conversations with him over the years, and every right. time we've had those conversations, he goes, "Wow, I can't believe how much you've helped me." And I'm going, okay, it's not a big deal. I did a spreadsheet for you or we spent an hour in your boardroom talking about something.
1: But you know that once you leave the room, Henry does whatever he wants, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that's fine. That's, that's the role that a consultant brings. Is it's, it's not, I'm not making the decision for you. I'm kind of walking you through it. So I said to myself, I can very easily build a practice with that. I just need to get it going. And to get it going, I relied on Crystal Creek, where I'm employed, where my, my friend hired me, and kind of deal with him and said, look, I'm going to go look for other clients. You're my base. I will always be there for you. And over time, we'll drop days. So we'll go from four, from five days to four days, from four days to three days, from three days to two days. And, and I said, I'll, I won't leave you high and dry, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. but.'" We've taken the business to a point where my work is, I'm gonna say, fairly simple to do and execute, and I don't have to be physically there. I can be in Phoenix, I can be wherever, and still keep tabs of the files that I'm, that I'm managing. So I jumped in with both feet last year, um, and today, um, oh, so there's one more piece to that. Um, the other piece is uh, Kelowna. So I was in Kelowna last summer. We go to Kelowna every summer for vacation, my wife and I. We have some very good friends there. And in a conversation last summer with a banker, the statement that he made, you know, my clients don't really know how to put business plans together. They come to the bank and their expectations are absolutely out here when the reality is not even close. They, They just don't get it. And so on the subject of business plans, um, I asked him, "Hey, have you ever heard of the Rockefeller Habits or Scaling Up by uh, by Verdon Harnish?" No, nope, never heard of it. So anyway, I proceeded to tell him a little bit about it, and I said, "It's it's a great framework. There are people that are coaches that get paid to to implement this framework in in small, medium, and, and large size enterprises." Geez, if I did that, you know, would you work with me? And and because you've got a, a big network of people in the interior of British Columbia. Surely, we could find a handful, two handfuls of of clients. So we said yes. So we created a business last uh, last summer. I got uh, certified with uh, gazelles as a uh, as a four decisions coach. You know, not everyone in our audience
1: knows what gazelles. Sure. So can you kind of elaborate sure. on the, a minute or The two?
2: easiest way to describe that, so Vern Harnish has been around for, let me say, 25 years. Vern was the founder of EO, Entrepreneurs' Organization. Right. And YPO, Young Presidents' Organization. And Vern wrote a book in uh, the 1990s called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. He had read Titan, which was John D. Rockefeller's book, uh, not his own biography, but the biography that was written about him. And saw in the methods, the madness really, that John Dee ran his his successful businesses, um, some I say, some common traits. And they really boiled down to three principles. Data. So John Dee was, was fanatic about data. So he had businesses spanning the, the globe. He was fanatic about meeting rhythms. So he walked to work every day with some of his associates, and they would talk business on the way to walk to work. He would have lunch with his executive every day in the dining room at, at the company, again, talking about business. And then the third piece was priorities. John was very focused on the priorities for the business. It was not a, a scattergun approach. It was very laser. We we're only doing this this month, this quarter. Anyway, long story short, Vern saw that and said, hey, I can build something from this and created what today is referred to as the one-page strategic plan. So it's in freeware, it's it's available, so uh, gazelles.com, uh, the material is available to the general public. And then the Gazelles organization has trained some coaches who help companies install that framework in their businesses. So it works for a small firm, so revenues of a of million dollars, to a large firm, revenues of three, four, or five hundred million dollars. It's been proven over that, that 20 plus year period.
1: Did you use it when you were a CEO? I did.
2: I did. And how? Uh, what was the success ratio? That's a difficult question to answer because did the success turn into doubling the size of the firm? No, it didn't for all sorts of other reasons. Did the, the success bring about a discipline in the organization? Absolutely. And that, I would say to anyone, is, is probably the biggest benefit. Is it, is it creates and instills a discipline and a rhythm of how you go about building the growth of your company. So you're focused really on, you've used it, have you not? We used it many years ago. Yeah. So you're focused on, on 90 days. Ultimately, you look at five years out, four, three, two, one year out, a quarter, and in the week. But it aligns people in your organization. And puts everybody on the same page. And from a communication standpoint, it's a very easy tool to say to the rest of the employees, hey, here's where we're going. You've seen that in your career, right? How many employees go, oh, geez, David, I don't know. I don't know where we're going. Nobody talks to me. Um, this is a very efficient tool to get everybody involved and be, be on the same page and celebrate your successes along the way. What drew you to become a coach? Um Back to my answer to you, of, of you know, 15 minutes ago, my kind of servant attitude. Um, I've seen a lot, I've done a lot, and my clients today, many of, of them, are, they're not hitting walls, but they're coming to a decision point, or they're faced with a situation, and they just go, I don't know what to do. Let, let me change one word. Is it
1: servant, or is it, are you enjoying being a mentor?
2: Um. It's a good. I mean, it's a good differentiation. <laughs> um, the mentor piece I never even think about. Um, I look at it, and, and one of the dilemmas that I have, to be a coach, you're not supposed to be able to give the answers. You're supposed to be asking good questions. And my tendency from my career has been to give answers. So now I'm having to bite my tongue and say, no, I'm not going to give them the answer. I'm going to find another question to ask them so that maybe they look at it from this perspective or they look at it from this perspective. Sometimes I will offer uh, an opinion and I'll say, so I was facilitating a session today for one of my clients here in in Calgary. And from experience that I had, I said, look, if, if you've all gone around, let me tell you what we did and take it for what it's worth. I'm not telling you that's what you must do, but here's how we handle this particular situation or example. I see. And um, you, you know
1: I'm sure that you heard the word mission vision purpose and you start your own organiz- your own kind of company now and did you kind of create your mission I did. vision I purpose?
2: Did. I did. How important is it? It's you know what the it's some of the hard part to do but particularly if you're going to have other employees work with you it's absolutely critical. And so the, the why piece, which is your, your vision piece, um, people want to know, why are you doing this? Well, what's driving you? Why, why do you want to do this? Your values are behaviors that you want to hire by, to fire by, to make decisions by, and you need that set of guidelines. Otherwise, how are you going to make decisions? So absolutely, that, that front-end piece um, is very very important, and too many organizations, I'm going to say, fast forward through that, they'll say, yeah, we did it, it's there, <laughs> it's on the wall, it's on the wall. <laughs> Someone can find. Can you find where it is? <laughs> Where's the memo? But the key is creating a culture where every employee um, lives and breathes those those values and understands that that why. And so they're all on the same page. And there's a a hundred, there's a thousand stories of very, very successful companies that, excuse me, live the values and the organization. It doesn't matter. 12 people, 120 or 1,200. Southwest is a good example. The folks at Southwest, and we saw that in the early years of WestJet here in in Calgary. You create a culture where people can buy into it. Um, People move mountains.
1: Yeah, but they have a problem with engines exploding right <laughs> Southwest. So uh, let's not go talk about that. Um, y- y- you kind of got your first clients? For I,
2: your... Yes, I'm now. What,
1: what is the most frustrating thing you find working with entrepreneurs? And we're getting very close to the end. <laughs> can I say ADD? Um, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> it. Um, when I leave the room because I have to it with something else. <laughs> the...
2: Uh, The entrepreneur trade um, that's very driven and not particularly good with detail is probably the one that drives me nuts the most. Um, I'm very much about collaboration and and giving feedback. And sometimes some of my clients, they just go, boom, he's out in left field. right? And like, where are you going? What are you doing? Talk to me. I don't hear from him for, for a week. That's probably what I find. The most frustrating. Now some of that I'm limited today by the geography. So I have clients in Kelowna where eventually uh, most of my practice is going to be and so I'm not there on the ground. In Calgary I see my clients only on a regular basis weekly.
1: I see. Um, one thing that you've learned about yourself during this journey <laughs> or maybe I should ask one thing Mariana learned about yourself during this journey they're sharing about me? No, what what did you learn about yourself through your well, twenty five or thirty years journey in the workforce?
2: What I say to my kids, and I said this very, very early on, they would remember this if 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 you prompted them, hard work pays big dividends. So take that for for whatever you want, however you want. Um, it's very simple. It's just about making that that commitment. And I told you a bit earlier, right? I just roll up my sleeves and go.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's one thing you learned that your hard work my paid parents, off.
2: My parents taught me that. Mm-hmm. I saw that in in my parents. Uh, they always said, you know, you'll get your reward. Just put your nose down and get the job done. And I had my, gosh, I had my first job when I was 10, 11 years old or something like that. I see. So it works. Uh, more coffee? Before we conclude our uh, show. I don't take any cream or
1: sugar. Yeah, perfect. Me neither. That will be uh, red, not black. (laughs) Um, And Richard, I want to thank you. It was a pleasure having you as a guest. Uh, And, um, you know, we enjoyed very much listening to your story. And we wish you all the best with your new venture. Uh, to our listeners, uh, we will be back here next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific with new guests and new ideas. Uh, please send me your feedback at, at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And uh, it was a pleasure having you, your host, David
0: Wallach.